Namaskaram everyone. Welcome to Aishu's podcast. Today we have a super special and super awesome celebrity guest with us. We have Arundhati Subramanyam Maka with us who is a award winning poet, writer and author of awesome books like Sadhguru Modana Life, Adi Yogi, When God is a Traveler and so on. And more important than that, a genuine seeker on the spiritual path. Namaskaram Maka and thank you for coming on my podcast. It's a big honor for me and my listeners. Thank you, Vaishnav. I'm very happy to be here. Very genuinely. <laughs> Thank you, ma'am. So, if you can directly go into the session with your permission. Absolutely. So, ma'am, me and the listeners would really love to know about your childhood. Like, what was it like growing up? What kind of kid you were? How you, you know, came across poetry first? Were you more into studies or sports? How you grew up? So, please, ma'am. Definitely <laughs> not into sports. That I can tell you. I grew up in Bombay or Mumbai or Bombay. It's a city of many names. And I grew up in a, you know, with my parents and an older sister. And looking back, I think I was um, definitely not a sporty kid, but I was probably a, a kind of quiet, uh, imaginative kid. I think. Happiest when I was left to my own devices. Happiest when no one was interfering in my life. When I could just be free to write the kind of nonsense verse that I was writing. Lots of rhymes. Um, very glad that none of them survived. <laughs> but I was writing a lot, uh, you know, reading a lot. I grew up in a house full of books, thanks to parents who were both very... Uh, omnivorous readers so lots of books and uh, I was writing I think from an early age always wanted to write act those were the things that excited me dance excited me I think the things that I look back on now by Shaq which give me a clue I think to some of the later developments in my life what interests me is the Arundhati of at the age of 10 who was writing a long story about a chick in a farmyard or the Arundhati at the age of 11, who was writing a long story about a cloud. And I mention these because I think many of the themes in these stories have remained as kind of background chords to my life to this very day, decades and decades later. There were questions about um, freedom, a chick that longed to escape from the claustrophobia of the farmyard. There were questions about pain, a very acute awareness of pain. And there were questions that the cloud had about uh, who it was, where it came from, where it was going. And I think those questions have endured. So those are the things that interest me now, looking back on my childhood. That's great, ma'am. So my next question would be like, what has been the impact of uh, poetry and prose writing on your like spiritual journey? Like, have they aided in it, or have they been a hindrance to it, or it's just neutral? They, they have neither added to it nor taken away from it. Like, what would you? I would say that um, for many years, Vaishak, I believed that all my, my answers would come out of literature and the arts. You know, theater, dance, music, all of it, because the world of the art seemed to be the only place to me where it seemed to be absolutely all right, absolutely valid to wonder, to ask questions about life and death, to uh, have questions about everything where nothing is taboo, that nothing is uh, out of bounds. Uh, art seemed to be that place of uh, 
honesty and beauty. And I thought all my answers would come from there. But there did come a time in my life when I entered a place of um, such wordlessness. I'm not quite sure how else to describe that uh, phase, but it lasted, it was a very intense experience that lasted about a week. And when I came out of that phase of wordlessness, one thing was clear to me, and that is that even poetry, which was the great love of my life, couldn't enter that space. When I came out of that, I think I began to realize that art, much as I loved it, wouldn't be enough, that I needed more. And I think that's when the spiritual journey started with a kind of urgency. It had always been there before that, but I think an urgency happened after that moment in April 1997. So ma'am, how did you take it forward from there, like when that urgency came? Like, like what were the I, first steps you took? Uh, the first steps I took were, one was just to pray for normalcy. You know, I just wanted my life as I knew it. I didn't want any of this. But at the same time, I knew I had to make my peace with it in some way, this strange phase of silence, because it seemed much more real than any other experience I'd had. So I started, quest, you know, searching. I was on the quest, became desperate. And I was leading for many years what I think I would call a parallel life, where I had one plane of my life where things were normal, I was functioning, I was writing, I was working. Uh, and the other phase, other plane of my life, which was more subterranean, was one where I was desperately looking for answers, desperately. So going for, uh, you know, enrolling for anything, whether it was a, some kind of self-help program that would make me feel terribly embarrassed, uh, you know, in the past about enrolling for, but basically just looking, looking for uh, guidance of some kind, something that would explain and that would help me come to terms with this, uh, with this wordlessness. So, so then <laughs> my next question is like something it, it confuses me. I hear Sadhguru talking about this a lot. So I want your views also regarding it. Sadhguru says that love, love is one's quality, whereas relationships are external transaction-based arrangements. So ma'am, do you agree with it? And like, what is your relationship with Sadhguru and how did he happen in your life? Wow, that's many questions on yeah, it. It's an Indian <laughs> question. <laughs> It's an interesting question, interesting bunch of questions. Let me start with the first part of what Sadhguru says. I think what he's drawing our attention to, Vaishak, is probably this distinction between um, love, which is not a transaction, which is just a way of being, which is just a quality, and um, which is basically a gaze of a certain kind of inclusiveness, and all the need-based um, deals and transactions that we're all making. He often calls it, um, calls the latter a mutual benefit scheme, which is a funny but um, <laughs> unsettling term because it also makes you aware of how many mutual benefit schemes you're engaged in. Yeah. I'd say that uh, I think it, for most of us, we've entered into various arrangements and um, we're in a mix. I think when I look at all the arrangements I've entered into, I'd say that they're a mix of things. They're a mix of conditions and 
non-conditions. They're a mix of uh, love and um, need very often. I think the important thing is not to deceive oneself. I think that's the most important thing, right? Um, as long as you're not um, in any state of uh, self-deception about what you've entered into and how, I think it's all right to be in, uh, to be in the kinds of uh, multiple kinds of relationships that we're in. But you have to make sure that you're not uncomfortable and you're not making someone else terribly uncomfortable. I think that's important. Um, coming to the second part of your question, which is about uh, Satguru, I'd say it took me about seven years of, of active quest, really, before I found Sadhguru. And it was in 2004 that I first went to a talk by him. And I remember feeling that, um, on the one hand, very drawn, because it seemed like someone who was speaking a language, finally someone who was speaking a language that was... Uh, that was, the, that was mine, that was ours, you know. It was uh, a language that was identifiable, it was incisive, it was witty, it was uh, the kind of language that refuses, refused to mystify in any way. And I think I loved that about him. I think many do. I also had this feeling of, my God, those were seven long barren years. Where were you all this time? You know, that was also a feeling in my heart. But... Uh, I sometimes wonder whether people come into your life at a certain point in time because you can actually recognize them for who they are at that point. And maybe if they'd come in sooner, you would have passed them by because you're not ready for it in some way. So he came and I remember feeling very excited because it was like being in the presence of a very real possibility. And I remember feeling I really wanted to know everything there was to know about this person and his path and what he was offering, particularly after I did the programs. You know, I think that uh, deepened into a kind of ferocious urgency. And um, I often used to feel when I was on my way to the ashram that I wanted to just dip in and scoop out what it had to offer and devour it. You know, uh -huh. um, there was that kind of fierceness to the need that I experienced at the time. And it was very unsettling. It was, uh, I thought, you know, I had ideas of what a spiritual process should be. And I thought right. it was about growing very settled yeah. and very composed. And instead here I was experiencing a kind of destabilization more than anything else. But uh, there was also always this very strong sense of this is right. This is how it's meant to be. It smelt real. In most of my interactions with people or even in, even in places that I'm in, I need to smell its authenticity. And in some way, this smelt very real. So I trusted it. And uh, I think later, as the practices deepened, my own relationship with Sadhguru um, took on another turn because of the book that I wrote. So there were long conversations as well. And... Uh, I enjoyed him greatly as a as a raconteur, as a you know, as a speaker, and all of that. So there was there was great uh, joy in that part of it. But as far as the spiritual journey goes, I'd say I discovered two things. I discovered that there is the personality, and there is the presence. And there are times when one is with the personality, 
when one has almost forgotten the presence and there are times when one is with the presence when one doesn't even quite need the personality. And then there are some wonderful times when you have both. I'd say the two are, are, are distinct, personality and presence. They're linked, but they are not identical. And it helped me to see this because with the person, you can have a friendly conversation, you can have a disagreement, you can laugh. There's a lot of things that you can have with the person. But um, with the presence and the connection between person and presence, that was a dynamic that it took me time to figure out and to understand. And um, I think it's just wonderful that uh, you and I and so many others actually, those of us who feel drawn to Sadhguru, actually have this um, possibility of accessing both personality, person and presence right now. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. So the next question is just related. This is the question in the podcast that I personally wanted to ask you. Like, so yes. it might take a minute. Like, uh, something, yeah, yeah. So, like, I used to read a lot of books. I was reading books like in a book I would read in two days, like a 500-page book. So, so the first book like I read of Sadhguru was Inner Engineering because I was looking for some kind of tool or solace. So I found a little bit in that book, but I never thought I would do an inner engineering program or would want to visit Sadhguru from that book. But then I came across, I wanted to know, like, how did Sadhguru become this person? I'm always interested in a story, like, how did this person become? So that's when I bought this book, More Than a Life, written by you. And I thought, okay, just like any other book, I would finish it within a day. But I couldn't turn the pages. Like, as I started reading the book, I was getting more disturbed. I was getting restless. I couldn't sleep. Like, I finally had to, you know, I went to my parents and said, I have to go to the ashram and, you know, check it out whether this stuff is real or not. Like, there, there are some people, like, they think ashram means you will forever go and I'll become Ramachari. So, it took a time for me to convince them because I had to find it. So, that's when I went there. I did the inner engineering program. And then when I came back only, I was able to complete the book. Because till, till then, I was disturbed by the things that were written in the book. Like, initially, it was very logical. But slowly, slowly, mm -hmm. things pop up in it. So even yes. today, when someone asks me which book of Sadhguru you should read, I always suggest inner engineering if I feel that the person is just looking for some tools. But if I feel that this person won't be satisfied, he's like burning with something, then I always suggest more than a life. So I'm quite sure a lot of people would want to hear, including me, the process behind the book and, you know, how you decided which part to include. You know, how are you able to come up with such a book? Like, it's 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 very raw. I, I can't, still, when I read it, it opens up a lot of things to think. So if you could please tell. It was a difficult book, for sure. It was a difficult book because it was a journey of uh, four years actually writing that book. And uh, it was preceded by two years of having done the programs and feeling very drawn to Sadhguru and the ashram and the Dhyanalinga and all of that. And in some ways, perhaps one had been preparing for it for a lifetime because of all that we discussed. Books had always been an important part of my life. And uh, I had written earlier a book on the Buddha. And so there was a certain, I mean, I was writing. That was one part of my life. And then there was this whole spiritual journey, which felt like a trapdoor that was opening up under my feet. And I was suddenly plunged into some place that I had never imagined possible. And here was this person 
I mean, I had spent years and years reading about uh, the mystics, you know, whether it was reading about uh, Ramana or Ramakrishna, you know, and yearning, Shirdi Sai Baba, just yearning to be in their presence and being consumed with envy at all those disciples who actually sat around them, you know, and who had the license to ask questions, you know. And I, I thought, you know, that was the kind of thing that happened to other people. But when Sadhguru happened, and I felt so consumed by curiosity that I remember mentioning to him at some point, I think we were on a walk around the ashram, it was in 2006. I remember mentioning to him that while there were books um, that compiled his talks, you know, his transcripts, things that he's talked about, I felt there was no book about him and about the absolutely extraordinary life that um, I was picking up glimpses of at that time. And I said, there needs to be such a book. And he was, you know, in his very customarily casual way, he said, so why don't you do it? <laughs> and at that moment I said, okay. And I don't think the enormity of it quite struck me then. It just felt exciting. You know, it felt like a license to hang around, um, the life story of someone who fascinated me. So I started work on it by one, just accessing material from the archives, uh, two, by having long conversations with those who had known him at different points in their lives. And of course, most importantly, conversations with him as well. And that went on for four years, and I had many crises of faith along the way. And I think, thought I'd bitten off much more than I could chew. This was, the story grew wilder and more and more outrageous. And I myself felt, who am I in this and how does, how does one tell such a story? Either you just, you know, to tell the story to a bunch of Isha meditators is one thing. Yes. You know, for them, their trust in the guru is already very much in place and their love of the guru. But to also talk to another kind of reader who might be stumbling upon the guru and the material for the very first time, this can be very unsettling. But there have been some wonderful books, you know, in the past, if we think of the autobiography of the yogi and so on, there are books that have in some way compelled us to suspend our disbelief, have led us somewhere, and at the end of it, when we put back that mantle of disbelief onto ourselves, we are different. So even the quality of our disbelief is different. You know what I'm saying? We are yes. different at the end of it. So I had to try and trust in that process. And I think the most difficult thing for me was to find a tone for the book. Because I wanted a tone that was deeply respectful and full of wonder, which is very much uh, part of my journey with Sadhguru. But also part of my journey with Sadhguru has been a spirit of inquiry, a spirit sometimes even of argument. And I wanted that sense to come through, that it is possible to have this dual spirit and that they are not incompatible. That uh, you're not being asked in some way to chop off your mind. Your mind is deeply engaged in this journey and it can be. So I wanted both those um, elements to be part of the tone of the book. I think it sort of started coming together, but I still did quite trust it and I put it away entirely until sometime in 2010 when I got an email from Sadhguru saying, is this going to be a posthumous biography? <laughs> so, 
<laughs> that is when I was seized by guilt all over again and I went back to the manuscript. <laughs> and um, after that, it started coming together more rapidly than I thought um, possible. And he looked at it. Now he often says he hasn't read it, but he did. And I even, you know, he looked at it. At, uh, he did read it, but he then reads so much. I mean, he has so much going on in his life that he doesn't remember all that he's read. But he had, did, in fact, read it. He made some suggestions. But what struck me about um, even the suggestions that he made were just about, you know, adding an anecdote here or, um, you know, it was what's it was sometimes just a proofreading suggestion. So I realized at that time that this was someone who was exceptional because he refused to micromanage the process. He was secure enough not to want to micromanage it. I think that um, told me a great deal about him as well. So it was a crazy journey. Uh, glad I made it. But while I was on it, I wasn't quite sure where it was heading. We are all glad like you made it because because of that book i am also here right now so thank you very much from me and all the listeners thank you. Uh, so ma'am my next question is about like could you talk a little bit about linga bhairavi and the feminine like sometimes when i get queries in my own little email it is mostly from men who ask about linga bhairavi the goodie so really? yes it's not ladies it's more men who ask about it where can we get the goodie what is what does it do how can it support us so could you talk a bit about lingabhairavi's role in your life in your material success and well-being or in general like what is this feminine and what is this lingabhairavi you know i often think back by shak on the times i used to be in the ashram before the devi temple happened and the change that happened after devi entered that space oh is it okay you know uh, the ashram was my, my my sanctuary in many ways it was a place where i did much of my writing other than my own practices and so on it was a place i went to recharge it was a place that was uh, deeply energizing but the kind of exuberance and festivity that came into the place the sense of color that came in when the devi temple was consecrated and after that i've always felt it's become the kind of space i feel much more uh, excited to be in uh, it seemed to me a little less austere and much more welcoming and warm uh, after devi happened but let me put it this way i'd say that i'm deeply grateful to sadguru for introducing me formally to the goddess but the first thing that struck me when i went into that temple was that um, i knew intuitively how to approach her so on some deep level i suspect we all known the goddess on a very deep level so when you say is she responsible for my material well being and so on i'd say no as a bhakta it's quite clear to me that she's responsible for us you know she is that wonderful uh, image of, that sadguru gives us at the time of the consecration you know that she is the womb and may every step we take be consciously within that womb uh, i think many of these things were almost intuitively accessible to me when i sat in her temple i needed no instruction manual on how to approach her she was there and she was invitation she was inviting she was welcoming most of all i'd say vaishak she was unafraid to engage 
in the you know absolute details of your life in the singularity of who you are with your own very particular baggage of you know whatever you bring to the world that makes you an individual it always felt to me that she hers is a presence that is willing to engage with all the inconsequential details of your life you know she gets her hands soiled and messy in your life that is the kind of compassion she represents and um, i've always felt that difference moving from the dhyanalinga to devi because dhyanalinga has always felt to me like this great implacable cascade of presence whereas devi is much more mercurial much more active much more she surges she moves right into your life in a sense devi meets you where you're at you know so to me the energies are distinct very complementary but identifiable and earlier i think the notion of the goddess was something that appealed to me intellectually you know the idea that there is the divine feminine needs to be acknowledged it appealed to a feminist sensibility but now she's a much more real damply real intimate presence oh, like i can't imagine my life without it. i'm so grateful that one can acknowledge her now and celebrate her because um, she's what i've been looking for unconsciously sadguru says like in dhyanalinga you don't ask anything you simply sit but with devi you can ask is it like that <laughs> i think with devi you can you can say anything you can you know and you sense listening you know there's a kind of deep listening and a deep engagement nothing is too trivial for devi that's the feeling i have the way it is the way it has been for my with my mother or the way it has been with my grandmother the female presences in my life powerful but at the same time um the person or the presence with which you can be absolutely informal you can share anything you know and it's all right thank you very much ma'am i'm quite sure a lot of listeners will be happy to hear about lingabai ravi from you i hope so <laughs> and uh, you know i i tell everyone to drop in at that temple because it's uh, it's it's a temple that truly changed my life so ma'am my next question is you have been on this journey with sadguru and isha for quite some time now so as new meditators someone like me like uh like we often face struggles sometimes i resist sadguru sometimes like no this is not the way but sometimes i still do the sadhana so how, how what would you say to you know meditators who are struggling like what is it like we expect like to be so i expect to be like always happy and joyful 24 hours but sometimes it's not the reality it doesn't happen it is for majority of the time but sometimes questions keep on asking i'm doing all this sadhana but still it's not happening so what would you tell us like <laughs> i'd say that my questions still haven't subsided i still have my questions and um, you know there is that distinction as i as i said between the person of sadguru the personhood which is wonderful and uh, and the presence which is wonderful in another way but there are times with the person when you will have your you will you will wonder is this right is this wrong uh, do i agree do i disagree there will be pockets of resistance 
and I'd say that's all an integral part of the journey. You know, what kind of journey of faith is not potholed by doubt? It has to be. Doubt is an integral part of this journey. Uh, because it is a journey that compels you to confront yourself all the time, relentlessly. So um, what kind of journey can it be that is not uh, challenging in some way? But I'd say this as well. And I say this to all those who, uh, who say to me that, you know, that they periodically have doubts. I'd say doubts are welcome. Doubts are a sign that, in fact, uh, something is deepening. You know, so there's absolutely nothing to feel guilty about when you're seized by doubt. But there are certain litmus tests that you can use with yourself. And I'd say one for me is this. Look back on your own life and what the practice has brought to your life. Now, the practice may not be opening new doors for you every day. Or if, they, if it is, then you may not be aware of it. But the fact is that when you look back at six months of your life, you know, after the practice having started, look back on those six months and see whether you can distinguish some kind of change, discern some kind of change. Look back on it a year later. Look back on it two years later. Look back on it as I am doing now, say 16 years later. And I'd say that there has been such a discernible shift that it makes this journey worthwhile. And looking back on it, I would say it has been an exhilarating journey, you know? Not always um, joyful in some narrow sense of the term, but always full of discovery. And even in difficult times, the sense of um, deepening guidance, deepening inner guidance. Not always easy, doubts keep returning, that's inevitable. Just stay with this simple question, has this practice changed me in some subtle but important way? If it hasn't, toss it. Toss it. And if it has, stay with it, see where it leads you. I'm still finding out. Great, ma'am. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> so, ma'am, like, what would be your, uh, like, advice or, like, suggestion to aspiring writers, musicians, content creators, like, small-time content creators like mine, and in general to the youth of today, like, how can, what should we do and, like, what should we aspire towards? I don't think uh, I need to give any advice, Vaishak. Uh, you're doing a wonderful job with your YouTube videos. Thank you. And there's an authenticity there, as I said earlier, that is uh, wonderful to see. But uh, if I were to talk to myself, you know, the, myself as a young writer, what would I like to say to her? What do I wish I had known at, uh, say, 21? I'd say probably two or three things. One, I'd say, don't trust all the naysayers in your life. There will be many voices that uh, infect your life with toxicity and negativity. They tell you you can't do it. They tell you you're not good enough. Those are the voices to stay away from. And those are the voices to, um, to really actively avoid and ignore. The second thing I would say is ignoring those voices doesn't mean that you don't 
work uh, crazily hard. You work hard, you know, and to enjoy that work. That's part of the artistic journey. The artistic journey is not what you uh, come up with at the end of, uh, say, four years of work. The artistic journey is the whole process of sitting around words and chiseling and tinkering. It's like being in a workshop, you know, and loving every moment of it. That's the, that's the journey of the artist, whatever your medium might be. So I'd say the most important thing is to be inspired, perhaps, by certain role models, whether it's other great artists, whoever it is one admires, or whether it's a guru, whoever it is. You are inspired by them, but you don't try to mimic them. You're not trying, it's not about mimicry. You are in the journey of becoming yourself, very truly yourself. So I'd say that's the second thing I would uh, tell myself to remember that it's a journey not about posturing, not about trying to be someone else. It's a journey of growing into yourself. And the third thing I'd say, and this I routinely say at every poetry workshop I conduct, is that it's amazing how many poets particularly, young uh, poets or people who claim that they write poetry, how many of them write poems but don't read? The most important thing about being uh, an artist of any kind is that you want to be surrounded by art of that kind, you know. So if you're a poet, you have to be a reader. If you're a musician, you have to be a listener. You cannot uh, call yourself a poet without a great curiosity about poetry and without a great need to read poetry. So I'd say read. How many books of poetry have you bought in a year is my routine question to... Uh, at poetry workshops. And I'd say the same to any artist, really. How do we fine-tune the art of listening? Because without the art of listening, there can be no art of any kind. There can be no creating without that art of listening. So, ma'am, thank you so much. So, I'm out of questions. So, like, would you, would you <laughs> like to... Thank you. Thank you, much. Yes, thank, so. you. thank you for a very real conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, for a conversation I enjoyed and not the kind of conversation one usually has. So, thank you. So, ma'am, anything last you would like to leave me and the audience with something? None at all. I think we've covered a lot of terrain. Yes, ma'am. Thank, Thank you very much, ma'am. It's been a great privilege for me to listen to you and a great support for my own sadhana also. So, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you All the best with this project. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, ma'am. Namaskaram, everyone. Hope you guys enjoyed this awesome podcast. Do reach out to Arundhati ma'am at the website link I have linked in the description. Please take a minute or two to send her a message. I'm quite sure she would really love to hear from you guys. So please do that. Also, do send me a message also if you love the podcast. And I would really love to thank Nitinana for making this podcast happen. Thank you, Nitinana. You are awesome. And to all my awesome followers and people who are listening for the first time, please do follow, follow this podcast. And if you can take a minute or two to leave a review or a five-star rating, if that option is available, it would really, really mean a lot to me. So until the next podcast, guys, take care. Namaskaram.